Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. My guest today, Bright Simons, tried and failed to create a platform to pair organic farmers in Ghana with consumers of organic products. But in that failure, he made an important discovery that is revolutionizing how consumers, industries, and governments are fighting the problem of counterfeit goods, including potentially deadly counterfeit medicines. Bright Simons is the co-founder and lead of M Pedigree, a social enterprise that combats the problem of fake and counterfeit goods, everything from medicines to seeds to auto parts and more. And as he explains, M Pedigree takes a systems-wide approach to fighting counterfeits. Its core innovation is a unique product identification marker. Think of this as a scratch-off label that reveals a code which people can then text or use a smartphone and instantly validate the authenticity of a product. Through this validation system, M-Pedigree has not only helped stop counterfeiting, but as Bright Simons explains, it's changing the behavior of individual consumers, industries, and even government. I must say, at the beginning of this conversation, I had a limited view of the problem of counterfeit goods. I did not see it as a systemic issue that requires behavior change. But Bright Siemens changed how I understand the problem, and I suspect he'll change your perspective as well. This episode is part of a content partnership with the Skoll Foundation to showcase the work of the 2019 recipients of the Skoll Award for Social Entrepreneurship. And Pedigree is one of the recipients. The school awards distinguished transformative leaders whose organizations disrupt the status quo, drive sustainable large-scale change, and are poised to create an even greater impact on the world. Recipients receive $1.5 million in core support investments to scale up their work. And now here is my conversation with Bright Simmons of M Pedigree. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So, counterfeit medicines is um, um, a subset of a broader problems to do with the supply chain. Uh, in this case, obviously, the supply chain for health commodities or health products. And it manifests itself in a number of different uh, forms. One is that you have situations where people make outright fake products, which is that, you know, they get the packaging, they put some stuff together that look like pills. Um, sometimes they actually put in some active ingredients and so make an effort to actually do um, something close to their original product in order to get repeat business. Um, so you have that category of counterfeit medicines. Then you have those that, you know, the medicines um, um, are not necessarily a copy of somebody else's brand. 
but they are not registered mm. to make these medicines in any well-regulated market, and therefore they are not complying with any standards. So nobody really knows whether they are complying with any standards. So you might call these unregistered or ghost medicines. Then you have a third category where they may be registered in one market or the other, but they are not in a stringent regulatory environment, and therefore they're not following the right standards. And not following the right standards therefore mean they make substandard products, medicines that don't follow the right formulation. Um, sometimes the active ingredients are uh, it's insufficient for the therapeutic category that is in, etc. And all of those are problems. And then you have a situation where even when everything is fine, um, the medicine was you know properly made by a, a company or an organization that is properly registered and, and, and noted, the way that you store the medicine, the way that the medicine is transported, uh, etc., can lead to problems. That is a fourth category. And then a fifth category will be situations where everything was fine at one point, but then something happened in the supply chain and people repackage the medicine or they change the expiry date uh, or they change the batch information. And, and therefore, you can no longer trust that the medicine was what it was. All of these problems are interrelated in the sense that when you want to use the medicine, you're not completely certain that the standards that the medicines ought to comply with or conform to um, are still what you are getting at the point of administration of the medicine. And what we've done, tried to do uh, is to intervene in that space in a, as comprehensive a manner as possible. Well, but before we talk about your specific intervention with M Pedigree, can you talk through how, say, before M Pedigree, governments would approach this problem? I mean, it, it, what you're describing sounds like there are a lot of like overlapping challenges. I mean, some of it could be corruption, some of it could be organized crime, some of it could just be, you know, like uh, bad business practice. Um, mm -hmm. there, there's like not like a single problem that you've identified. So how before mm -hmm. M Pedigree has government tried to approach this problem? And so, maybe like examples you could cite might be helpful too. Indeed. There, there's been a long-term effort to consolidate different measures in order to be able to monitor whether we're having the right impact as we should. Um, and in the U.S., you have your uh, Drug Supply Chain um, Security Act, which has been in the books for quite a long time, and the effects of which is this new attempt to create a comprehensive national um, infrastructure for transparency and accountability in the supply chain in the U.S. So the way that it's been gone is that there's been different technologies that have been coming up, different ideas, different understandings of the problem, and you've been trying to consolidate them all into an infrastructure. Think of it as a social industrial, a social industrial infrastructure to address the problem. And in Europe, they've had the falsified medicines directive, uh, which also takes the different dimensions of these problems and integrate them and try and have a comprehensive national infrastructure. In this case, tr regional, trans-regional. Um, supranational infrastructure. Um, so they've tried different things and they've just discovered that you have to integrate them. You could do enforcement, so you could have investigators that go around and trying to figure out what is happening on the ground. You can have requirements for registrations that are electronic, so you can track and, and trace. Um, you can have uh, mechanisms within the supply chain itself that rely on electronic data interchange, so that as medicines move from one part of the supply chain to the other, from the manufacturer through the distributor through the wholesaler to the hands of the uh, through the retailer to the hands of the consumer, you know at which point that exchange took place, uh, what are the conditions of those exchanges, etc. Mm -hmm. So all of these things have been quite fragmented in the past, and partly also because they, it, you know they are they are in response to a fragmented system. 
Now, this is on top of the interconnectedness of the supply chain around the world. So how you get medicines in Ghana might require, you know, a, something that was produced in South Africa um, for an American company to be transported into a major consolidation center in Turkey um, and then bought by a, a big Nigerian regional distributor, which, you know, um, received them in Lagos and then finally send them over to Ghana. So all of the, that interconnectedness, when you mix it up with the fragmentation, um, leads to a situation where accountability can be difficult, knowing who has responsibility for what has been difficult. And so the new thinking has been how you, do you create these integrated structures that enable accountability at different levels to be possible? Mm. And, and, you know, it's not like, say, the government of Ghana either, you know, has the capacity to do all the monitoring that's that's required in that kind of complex Indeed. system that Indeed. you that, that you described. So so mm. then how did you come up and, and your team come up with the idea of of pedigree So, uh, uh, you know, our backgrounds were activists, you know, researchers, um, people that were noted in the radical movement in Ghana, in the student movement in Ghana and things like that. So we did not come at it with a traditional, just find um, a product that somebody would buy, you know, and pay for approach because that would have just meant doing some app. Um, but and there are a lot of people that, you know, have proposed different apps uh, and because they don't see the whole system as a problem and they just think it's a matter of some specific um, action that would change it. And we, we've always known it's a system problem. So, and we came at the problem from a very different angle. We're pursuing and investigating um, uh, possibilities in the agricultural supply chain, mm. trying to get African farmers to sell their food as organic. And that is also a very systemic problem. And because these farmers grow their food organically by default, but because they cannot afford these chemicals and the rest of it, their yields are often smaller um, and therefore they lose money. And we thought we could solve that problem by making it possible for them to sell the produce as organic, and in which case they get more money for doing the right thing. Mm, okay. And unfortunately, that didn't work out because we the farmers needed themselves to be upgraded to be able to upload information and do all of this stuff that will let someone buy the, the, the fruit or the vegetable um, be able to go online, key in the code on the fruit or the vegetable, see the farmer um, that they are actually buying the food from, connect with that farmer, tip the farmer if they enjoy the fruit, and all of that stuff. And our, our goal was then to create that integrated um, um, farm to fork relationship. Uh, just just so, so that like consumers know that their you know fruits grown in Ghana are organic if they can indeed, verify it. Indeed, but also they build a relationship with the farmer, which used to be the case 300 years ago. Mm. 300 years ago, you walked down the, 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 the street um, and down the middle and you went into a farm and you bought some fruits and you knew the farmer, you knew their children. And, you know, over time we started to use markets, but even then it was often the farmer bringing the food into the market. So you knew who grew your food and that has completely changed. And obviously it has to continue changing because we live in an increasingly uh, fragmented world. But our goal was how do we bring some of those pieces back together and create more trust and more connection uh, and more beauty, really, more beauty. Uh, but we couldn't get it to work because the farmers themselves needed a considerable amount of upscaling and upgrading for them to participate. And they, were, they, were not, they couldn't invest, so they wanted us to invest in them. And we didn't have any resources. But while we were doing that, this problem of counterfeit medicines then came to the fore because there was an incident in Nigeria where a whole uh, group of children died because somebody had given them um, um, pediatric medicine, which was unfortunately laced with some contaminants uh, which led to their deaths. So we looked at it and thought, hmm, actually, it's a similar problem, just disguised. And we've seen that in so many other contexts now. Every time we see a problem that looks disguised, you look into it and you see that it's actually a supply chain, a fragmented supply chain, low accountability problem. 
Um, and it's been the same in the case of agro, where we also work with seeds and, and, and things like that. So in, in effect, that was our coming um, of age. We recognizing that there are a lot of supply chain related problems. Their fragmentation needs to be addressed. Um, and you could only address it with an integrated platform that multiple stakeholders can interconnect with. So if you go to, what, to Kenya and look at what we do in Kenya, for instance, the seed growers are a big part of it. The government regulator for agricultural um, uh, activities is a big part of it. Uh, individual agro-dealers are being increasingly sensitized to play their role. And then, of course, there's a farmer who is you know, about to buy the agro-input, whether it's the seed or the fertilizer, and needs to be able to confirm that they are getting the right thing. And they are getting seeds as opposed to grain that somebody has packaged uh, and is marketing as seeds. Mm, like counterfeit um, seeds also mm. is a huge problem. And cannabis is a huge problem indeed. So, so, uh, so, so, walk uh, me through, you know, you, an example of M Pedigree at work in Kenya to combat counterfeit seed and ensure reliability uh, across the whole supply chain. Mm-hmm. So it comes, it starts with recognizing this systems level dynamic, and then saying that okay, you've got problems with, you know, some seed growers not doing the right thing. You've got problems with some people trying to sell seed when they are not registered. You've got problems with some people just taking a well-selling seed um, and then sending it over overseas and having somebody make a copy of the packaging and then putting in grain and then purporting that the grain is actually seed because it's very difficult to, with a naked eye to tell the difference and then selling it out there. So you got all these multiple problems. How do you approach it? The way we decided to approach it was that we needed to create a common platform that enables all the key stakeholders to see what is happening in a way that enabled accountability to lead to trust. And so we created these platforms at the level of the government, working in partnership with the government regulatory agencies, and also working in partnership with the industry association. So the two of our, you know, the two main stakeholders then came up with specifications that enabled us to develop software for these individuals' separate entities. That means that going forward, um, from that point on, which is 2016, when all of this gelled together, every seed that was grown has a kind of um, uh, ID. It, it comes with a, a, a record. There's a record associated with that seed. And as it moves through the system online, uh, everybody's able to see you know, where that seed is in that journey. And once the seeds are harvested they, and they've been put into this packaging, the packaging gets a sticker which links back to that record. Now, when the farmer buys the, the seeds, they unveil this sticker and they see a unique code. They link to it. The system then queries the record and sends them the most relevant information. And that will include things like what is the name of the seed they've bought, what, what is the lot it belongs to, what is the inspection ID of that code. And why is all of that important? Because if there was a problem, we will know everything, including which seed bed nursery mm. that seed was grown in. We will know who did the inspections of that, those, you know, while the, 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 the seeds were, were, were being grown. And we will know which inspector cleared it. We will know which uh, regulatory officer approved the clearance. And we know when the germination was, um, was done and what was effective. And so it means, therefore, that everybody's accountable because there are individual uh, actors who have left their imprint on that seed. And, and, and all those imprints are, are recognizable and traceable. Yeah, and, and I assume, you know, from the consumer standpoint, from, you know, the farmer who's buying the seeds, you know, it's as simple as scratching off um, yeah. a, a sticker that reveals a code and they just text that, uh, text a toll-free number that code, right? And, and then it sends them all that information right on their phone. 
Indeed, or they could they could also scan the barcode on the on the on the on the um, sticker, and um, that enables them to also do a, a bit more than the text messaging will enable them to do. So things like you know um, reporting problems that they've had with you know ag- agronomic related problems um, or things they don't understand, and and later on get feedback from the, the brand owner or from the regulator, depending on who is best suited to address the challenge that they've had. So that interactivity is enabled on the smartphone, but at the very least, on the on the SMS or the feature phone, they get enough information in a repeatable, reproducible, regular format, so that they don't have to have a lot of education to understand that. Oh, I just have to look at this and then compare it to what is on the on the packaging. I just have to look at this and compare it with what's on the packaging, and I know I've got a genuine. Thing. And the reason, obviously, that you can't fake this uh, is because the code that is uh, on the sticker that code or that barcode, whether it's a human readable or a barcode, uh, it's unique and distinct and cryptographic. So you cannot copy it. Um, and you, it's different for each pack um, um, of seed. What I find, I think, so interesting uh, about this model, this approach is how like replicable it is across industries. So, mm-hmm. it, and, and it seems to work in like a very similar way from uh, combating seed counterfeiting to assuring quality uh, of seeds to assuring quality uh, of medicines. I have to imagine it's also used uh, like major brands would want it as well to sort of ensure the, their consumers, their their people that are buying their their products that you know they're they're getting the genuine thing. Because um, the underlying problem that is trying to solve is all similar. It's all about trust and accountability at the very root. Now, when you scale it up and you find out that it manifests in different forms. And, some, and though they are similar in the way that they look, and they are different in the way that they, they, if, uh, 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 they impact uh, real lives. So in the case of counterfeit seeds, you're not just talking about the fact that the seeds could be poisonous, and that is often not, not even the bigger problem. The bigger problem is that the farmer is not going to get the right yield, and if they don't, they don't get the right yield, they can't pay their debts. And if they, don't, they can't pay their debts, they may just go commit suicide, as we've seen in some parts of the world. Um, best case scenario, Yields collapse because yields collapse. You have a famine on your hand, so that is very different from the case of somebody getting into diabetic shock or getting kidney failure from taking medicine that is wrong. But they still, and obviously, the way in which that problem emerged will not be the same. Um, in the case of um, counterfeit seeds, you have an agro system problem that you have to do. You have to understand agriculture and how different dynamics within agriculture may lead to you having fake seeds. In the same, in the same. Case with, uh, in, in, in pharmaceuticals as well, you have to understand that the medical supply chain is different, and therefore how the counterfeit may manifest itself will be different as well. And this is important because you're not just simply providing a quick fix. You are trying to create a system that over time increasingly leads to um, increasingly uh, leads to less counterfeits overall and um, transforms what was simply a crime situation into a situation of empowered actors working closely together. Well, well that, can, can I stop you there? Like, yeah. how have you measured impact then, um, on, at least on, on the, the, um, the counterfeit drugs side of things? I mean, how do you measure um, that you've actually sort of set out to accomplish those ambitious goals that you just outlined? So some of that we, we do through our partners. So the government of Nigeria, as an example, measures prevalence of counterfeiting over time which they've mapped to enforcement using the solution. Um, and 
And obviously, there are also episodic um, um, effects which we can track. So we, we, we track how many rates, by which I mean anti-law enforcement rates on counterfeit um, installations and warehouse and things like that, that are done using information that is provided through the system. We track those episodic uh, events. We track the um, satisfaction levels of different um, uh, pharmacies and the, and the like and try and give an, get a, a sense of is our system interfering or is rather empowering the pharmacist to be able to do more with, with, the, with the patient. And so those things are all difficult. But in, inevitably, if you, are, you have a system level intervention, you can't use one measure. So we can't just use how many people are checking or we can't just use how many cannabis have been identified. We have to use these multiple measures um, to, to do it. Luckily, the system itself is highly automated. So what would have been a very expensive impact and evaluation process um, is helped by the fact that we get a lot of the data in an automatic format. Um, but I, I agree with you. There is a, a challenge in the sense that some of that um, output is, goes through our partners. So we need to do um, in, integrated monitoring as opposed to just MPEG trying to measure its own footprint. We, we, in fact, without our partners, we are nothing. Without the telecom organizations that make the toll-free system possible and defend against cyber attacks, without the, um, the regulator, which uses the system to do e-certification and e-regulation and to respond when there is an identified problem, um, there isn't much that our solution will achieve without the seed growers in the, in the form of the association agreeing on common protocols that enable this system then to uh, act beyond one particular actor. Uh, so if you think of the normal anti-contacting solution that is deployed by one brand owner, it's a very different affair. It doesn't require the kind of integrations that we have just described. Mm-hmm. In our model, is very different. We are talking of how I move my products from my warehouse into the um, distributor and uh, the distributor's level of, of things, and then the distributor moving it on to the retailer and preventing any of those uh, nodes from becoming entry points for kind of... You cannot do that with a traditional kind of thing solution because you need to get the, the trust of the distributor. You need to get the trust of the retailer. Whereas the traditional anti-counterfeiting solution assumes that you can't trust anybody at all and therefore... Uh, you cannot, you know, exchange information with anybody at all regarding what is coming in. So, so it's a very different way of thinking. So you described earlier how um, Pedigree was able to operate across industries from seeds uh-huh. to medicines and, and other industries. Um, what challenges did you experience moving from countries yeah. in Africa to, to India? Was it sort of also sort of seamlessly interoperable? No, so you are actually, you're actually right. You're on to something, which is that even moving from industry to industry is not that seamless if you what you're doing is systems level change because the industries are set up very differently. So the way that the problem manifests itself in agriculture is not the same way that it manifests itself in healthcare. Um, in the same that you know, the way that it manifests itself in automotive, where you have this problem around um, vehicular accidents and how fixed spare parts leads to cars, you know, get into accidents very different. So in each industry, we've had to uh, reorganize some of the um, systems that we operate in, some of the software needs are a bit different, um, etc. The good thing, though, is that when you learn, because the fundamentals are, are, the, are the same, because you're, it's all trust and accountability, the more we specialize and build those capabilities, the more we're able to move from one industry to the other. In terms of geographical, you are absolutely right again. The, a lot of the compliance issues are very different. The governments are set up very differently. The Indian government has its own frameworks that we have to plug in, very different from um, um, some of the African countries where we are very much responsible for uh, helping design the frameworks because um, the, some of, um, very often the frameworks in the electronic side are not there. 
India already has DAVA and things like that. So your system has to find ways of talking to them and it's a much more elaborate dance. Uh, in, in a country like Malawi, which is you know w- one country where we are, we are very fresh in and, 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 and barely started, it, it's, there, there is an, um, a sense that you know, we have to do more design thinking from bottom up. Whereas in India, it's more adaptation. Hmm. Um, so yes, there, there, there are considerable differences. So it's interesting. Obviously in the Middle East as well, in Egypt, yeah, uh, yeah. where you, you know you, you, you have to have a very um, strategic approach into how you you try and integrate government and industry and things like that because you have your own existing culture of how these things are done already. Well, so that sort of answers my my final question in a way, which it seems like the sky is almost the limit for the applications of. And pedigree, at least in the developing world, or, you know, I suppose it's probably less, your technology is sort of less relevant to, say, Europe or, or the United States, where counterfeiting is, is sort of less of a problem, not no problem, but less of a problem. But it seems like pretty much anywhere else where there is counterfeiting um, of goods, you're have almost like a plug and play solution, um, you know, working obviously within relevant national contexts. Yes, except that unless you're thinking of counterfeiting to mean one particular type of supply chain fraud problem, if on the other hand you're concerned with you know horse meat being sold as um, cow meat uh, or yeah. beef in Europe, or you are concerned with um, the fact that people are not sure whether whether the cereal they have truly doesn't have GMOs, mm. uh, etc. If you can think of all those problems as somehow linked to the same fundamental issue about trust in supply chains in a fragmented world, uh, which is also highly interconnected. If you think of it in that broad sense, then I would say that it's indeed um, a global problem. And that global problem can be solved with the ideas that we are putting out there and which we are testing in practice, in real context, in real lives, and impacting real lives. So, so I agree with you that there's a global opportunity um, from livestock and preventing the transmission of zoonotic diseases because we do better tracking of livestock and better tracking of the movement of um, pathogens from 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 the animal population to the human population, all of those surveillance issues are interconnected with the same problems that we are solving. In fact, when you look at them closely, and work that we are currently doing in veterinary and, and stuff like that tells us that the same fundamental principles are applicable to um, the major disease surveillance programs that are ongoing today to prevent zoonotic diseases from crossing the, um, the species barrier. So it's amazing where you see these things when you look, you start to put on yeah. you know, that lens. It's funny because uh, I, I did not put on that lens when I asked that question, but you just, <laughs> in, in your answer, you made me see so, things totally differently. And I keep so thinking of problems. Lens, of, yeah, it's yeah. very possible. The question is whether it's MPEG that would do it. Yeah. I, I, why not? That will do it. <laughs> why not? Why not? I, I mean, just kind of coming back to your, to your original um, concept of trying to connect farmers in Ghana to organic consumers. Um, yeah, I mean, I have to imagine there's like a lot of fraud around what is organic, what is not organic. I know there's like fraud mm-hmm. in like the fishes you you buy in the supermarket yeah, and in the restaurant. Yeah, tuna and salmon. Yeah, and I I also with my partners um, actually just set up a new organization to look at vaccines mm. uh, within M Pedigree. So M Pedigree is now also becoming an incubator for um, new spin-offs. And one of the spin-offs that we've, we've just, you know, launched works in tracking vaccine quality based on temperature and other environmental indicia. And we do that with a smart label that uh, actually changes form based on the temperature conditions. And then we've got these machine learning algorithms that can interpret those changes 
to extract cumulative temperature information to know whether the vaccine is still stable. That would not be obvious if you just look at it from that problem of, oh, canafitin, and therefore, you know, we are trying to obscure, um, and, sorry, enter into an arms race with canafitin by obscuring uh, um, um, unique numbers. This is very different. This is a, a smart label with smart chemistry on it, with a polymer that shifts and shapes. And we using machine learning algorithms to detect um, those shifts and, and try and interpret what it means in temperature, cumulative temperature terms, and, and therefore our ability then to assure um, um, hospital administrators or nurses, you know, whether the vaccines they're about to administer to a, to a, to a young child or the eutritonic they're about to administer to a pregnant woman giving birth are actually heat stable. Hmm. That is that looks very different, right? But at the core of it is still the same idea of accountability and trust and, and stuff like that. Well, well Brett, I, I must say you've changed the way I think about these issues over the course of this conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank and you so and much, congratulations. Guys. It was a delight talking to you. Yeah, I, I look Glad forward to fun. seeing you in, in Oxford. Congratulations. I can't wait. I can't wait. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Bright. Now, as I'm recording this, it's uh, just a few days away from uh, the chance I'll have to meet Bright in Oxford, England, where the Skull World Forum is being held and the awards are being formally conferred. Uh, if you're listening to this episode contemporaneously and you will be an attendee at the Skull World Forum, uh, do give me a shout. I'd love to meet you in person. Or if you're around Oxford as well, I suspect I probably have a fair number of listeners in Oxford. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.